You're listening to sermons from Christ the Savior Orthodox Church. We're a small but growing mission of the Orthodox Church in America, currently meeting in Brewer, Maine. We'd love to have you join us for service, but until then, here's Father Scott with this week's sermon. sent. He went his way therefore and washed and came seen. The neighbors therefore and they which before had seen him when he was blind said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to this pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, he put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed, and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. They say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him, that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, whom you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But what, by what means he now seeth we know not? For who hath opened his eyes we know not? He is of age, ask him, he shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents, because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, that he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, 
he is of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke unto Moses, As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, it was not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believed, and he worshipped him. The Lord said to the Jews that came to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth forth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then Jesus said unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The world is full of sickness, sorrow, death, suffering, pain, turmoil, deprivation. All sorts of sad things come upon humankind. I'm sure if you've lived and had your eyes open for any period of time, you can see around you such suffering. And I'm sure that in many cases, you yourselves have suffered greatly, perhaps. Sometimes for a short time, and sometimes for a long time. When we look at suffering, there's two ways, I guess, to look at it, both of which are approved by the Lord. One is that suffering is there for judgment, to correct us, to move us to someplace different, 
redirect us, if you will, or sometimes to judge us, or nations even. There is sin that leads to suffering, truly. And we saw that when we talked about the man at Bethesda. Today we see the other case. The case where sin is not the reason for the suffering. Where there's suffering, yes, and it may look very much like the suffering of the one who's being judged or chastened. But this is a suffering which occurs for a reason that's apart from our own sin or from the sin of those around us. It's a suffering which the Lord speaks about in our gospel from John chapter 9. It's a suffering where the man didn't sin, neither did his parents, but rather the suffering existed that the works of God might be made known. That God might get glory from the suffering somehow. Sometimes sin is totally unrelated to sin. I mean, sometimes sin is totally unrelated to suffering. We can't always say that sin is coming because we sin. And so the Lord gives us this gospel today. And there's so many things that we could focus on in the gospel. But I want to focus on this issue of suffering that didn't come from sin. In such circumstances, somehow God is meant to be glorified. That God's going to work somehow. God wants to work. His intention is to work. And even though we don't know exactly how he's going to work or why he's doing it precisely, we can know that somehow where there's suffering, God intends that he be glorified somehow. And that his works be made known to man, both to those that suffer and to those that watch him suffer. Those that are far that hear about the suffering, those that are near that experience it. The Lord wants his glory to be made known. He wants his works to be seen. And so it is that the Lord gives us this great gospel today. Jesus was passing by and he saw a man that was blind from birth. Two things to notice in that statement. One, he was a man. He wasn't a child. He wasn't a baby. They just started suffering. He was a man that had grown up and had been born blind. The fathers say he was born without eyes even. And so the miracle becomes greater when we think of what the Lord done recreating as he did man in the beginning from dust, making an eye from clay. But he was a man and he was blind a long time. He'd suffered in darkness for many years. He'd been blind from birth. And so it was that a long time of suffering had passed and then the Lord passes. And the disciples seeing this man ask the question which so often comes to us. We want to believe that there's an A plus B equals C with sin. Sin brings suffering. And so they ask the question. It's the same question that was going through the minds of those that tried to comfort the prophet Job. The whole book of Job is a, con a conversation between four men, three main characters, and one that comes on at the end, between them and Job, who suffered greatly. Job lost everything in one single day. Great calamity, great suffering came upon him. He got physical affliction and a sickness of boils and pain. He lost his children and he lost all his property. In one day, great calamity, great suffering. Those men came to Job and accused him of sinning. And therefore this calamity had come upon him. But we know from the preface of Job that God was allowing him to be tried for God's glory. 
And so we see behind the scenes where men did not see. That the suffering was not due to sin. It was due that God might work. And that God might show through his servant his own greatness and receive glory from men. The disciples in their ignorance asked the same question. Seeing only the one reason for suffering. That someone sinned. And they said, Master, who did sin? Someone must have sinned to bring this calamity upon this man for all these years. Was it him? Or was it his parents? That sin that brought this blindness. It shows a shallow view of understanding, doesn't it? We can see there's two reasons that sinful acts can bring things upon us, but that also that God's glory might be manifested. So often we fail to realize that sometimes suffering is not due to someone's sin. And so they didn't see that. So Jesus opens their eyes a little bit. He says, neither at this man sinned. That's a bold statement on the Lord's part because he knows everything. He said, this man hasn't sinned, nor have his parents sinned. No one sinned here. That's not why this man is suffering. He's suffering that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Just about all of us tend to look upon people that are suffering. The person in the street, perhaps. The person that's afflicted with some sort of illness at a young age. And tend to blame them for their affliction. And we miss the greater thing, I think. That sometimes God, and oftentimes God, is working through suffering to work his work to do miracles as he did this day to this man or to show himself to mankind somehow. Jesus said, I must work. I must do the works of him that sent me. And so the glory of God can be made manifest. And the effect of the miracle became evident that day. To that man, to his family, to his parents, to the Jews, to the Pharisees, to everyone. But the man who was born blind now sees. And so God received glory in this man's condition being changed. You know, at the end of this passage in John, the Pharisees said this, again, missing the point, just like the disciples did. But they did it from a different angle. The apostles were just ignorant, but the Jews were malevolent. They were full of pride. They were unbelievers. And this is the position that unbelievers default to. Those that are healthy, that are rich, that are prosperous, look down on the world from a position of pride. And they say, thou was altogether born in sins. And they look down upon others from a place that's evil and is prideful. But the man gave God glory. What God desired in that man's life out of his suffering, out of his life of suffering, from birth until that day, as a man when God healed him, God got what he wanted. God got his glory. Because at the end of this passage, we see him exalting the Lord and saying, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. This is the great expression of glory to God. When you and I, his creation, worship him in faith. We worship in faith. This brings God glory both now and eternity. God will be surrounded by those who worship him and give him his glory. His works are not without effect. And so it is that this man shows us so many things. There's many reasons for sickness, for sorrow, for suffering that aren't linked to self and to family. Well, let's talk a little bit about this whole problem of suffering where there's no sin. 
Well, first of all, the onset of our sufferings can come at any time. They can come at birth, as they did with this man. They can come in old age. They can come at any moment. Suffering can come into our lives or the lives of those around us that we care about and that we love. It's not directly linked to sin. It just comes. It can come at any time. It can come slowly. It can come quickly. It can come in an accident. It can come with a debilitating lifelong disease like multiple sclerosis or something like that. It can come both in mind and in body or in both. The onset of our peril can come at any time. There's no restriction to when it can come. It can come at any time. And it can come in duration for a long time or for a short time. In our book of Acts today that we read in our epistle, we see the apostles Paul and Silas in prison. It was for a brief moment that the works of God might be made manifest. And then they were released. It can come for a long time. It's like it did with this blind man. It can come for our entire life. It can vary in intensity, the suffering. It can be mild in pain, or it can be great in pain. It can be far-reaching in its effects. It can be narrow. It can hit your body. It can hit your mind. It can be like Job, where everything seems to have fallen apart, and you'll lose everything. In a moment, it can come upon you. It can come in a long time, and its intensity can be great. It can be like this man who was born and lived into adulthood without eyes, but he lived for a moment when God's glory could be made manifest. Some people are like a friend of mine who was a carpenter and was fixing rafters in a new house and installing them. And way up high, when the house was just being framed in, he fell from the highest rafter, bounced off halfway down, and landed in the basement forever to be paralyzed. And when he was laying in his bed, I visited him in the hospital. And he said to me, brother, he could barely speak. I'm a chosen vessel. When God brings affliction, he's choosing to allow it to happen so that his glory might be made manifest. I was thinking about this and I, I was perplexed in many ways when I thought about this, how this can come to mankind across the globe where Christ is preached and where he's not preached. Mankind suffers. It's painful to think about. Children suffering, adults suffering, the old age where suffering comes and encapsulates our entire life and retraxes. All of this, somehow, God is working. Don't ever doubt that God's working. Job didn't doubt, he lost everything. He knew something about God. But even among pagan people, my brothers and sisters, you might have seen it yourself. There's people that meet suffering with joy and with strength. God's working. Whether we see it or not, there's no limit to God. God's working across the world. Some people are chosen vessels like Job, like my friend that fell from the rafters. And we cannot question or deny or doubt. We need to endure and share his glory somehow in our suffering even if we're not delivered. I think so often we think that deliverance is all that matters. Sometimes the works of God are shown but there's no deliverance. Only death is a deliverance. Job understood this. We need to understand it. And we need to share in his glory somehow. We need to be able to pull his strength and his grace into our lives. 
to beg for it if necessary, to weep for it, yes, to pull it down and inspire others around us that the works of God might be made manifest somehow. There's testimonies, perhaps you've seen them, where there's like towers of triumph and victory in times of pain and weakness and suffering. I saw a, a picture one time or a movie or something of a man who was born with no arms and no legs preaching Christ. He'd crawl across the stage, wiggling like a snake to get to a place where they could prop him up in a little holder, and he'd preach with joy. The gospel. This is what God wants to see in us. That his grace becomes great when we're weak. That even in obscurity, or whether we're out in front of all the crowd, everybody can see our trauma and how we've triumphed over it. We endure unto Christ, and his grace becomes great. Paul said his grace is perfect in his weakness. In other words, as he became weak, God's grace became greater. I think suffering has some angles that we don't want to face, I guess, sometimes. We think our suffering is going to lead to some great triumph and victory like the man who could preach in front of others with no arms and no legs. But so often our suffering is in obscurity. It's almost like our suffering isolates us from others. I think this is even where greater triumph can be held and captured by us. It's written that in the book of Job, it's almost hard to believe that we can have the years that the locust ate restored somehow, but it may not be in this life. We've got to be willing to wait somehow. And so it is the Lord writes this passage for our understanding. We might have some glimpse, I guess, into the way that God allows suffering and why he allows suffering. We don't always know how it's going to work out, but somehow God's trying to prepare us that we can get ready ourselves or we can strengthen someone that goes through the valley of the shadow of death. Sooner or later, all of us will be touched with suffering. I'm sure that right now we can think of times when we've suffered or so those around us have suffered. I guess the real question is that we need to be ready with a proper response when the moment comes to suffering. We might encourage others or encourage, take encouragement in God ourselves. How do we get ready? How do we prepare for this time? It may be in our old age. It may be in an accident tomorrow. It may be in the death of a loved one suddenly. It may be in so many ways. There's almost no end to the ways that suffering can come upon us. Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to be sure that we don't wait to live in the Lord. How often do we put off drawing close to God, filling ourselves with the Holy Spirit, allowing God to fill us and to work in us? It's going to be another day. I'll stop singing. I'll go to church next week. I'll worry about God and reading the scripture and learning about the Lord later. Don't wait to get ready for suffering. Do it today. It's going to be too late. The door is going to close and we won't be ready. We'll be like the virgins that came with no oil. They were about a second too late. Too late, it's too late. Don't wait. Allow God to fill you while there's still time. The scripture says in Isaiah, call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. In other words, today, God's near. God's passing. Right now, perhaps, he's passing. And he's asking you to draw near unto him. Call upon him while he's near. Get strong now for your own sake and for the sake of those that will need your strength. 
that you can minister to. Draw near to God, James says, and he'll draw near to you. That's a promise that God wants to draw near to you. He wants to fill you. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to bring you to a place where you're ready, if necessary, to suffer so that his works and his glory might be made manifest. I think the second thing we do besides getting ready, preparing ourselves for our own personal holiness and rolling up our sleeves and getting serious about our Christianity is to remember God's promises. God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm sure many of you have seen the poem about the footprints in the sand when there's only one set of footprints. And of course, in the bottom it says that these were the times when God was carrying us. The Lord says, he'll never leave you or forsake you. Jesus himself said that. I will never leave you or forsake you. It might seem that God's there. And it might seem that your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Sometimes they are because we're sinning and we're, he can't hear us. Our iniquities have hidden his face from us. But oftentimes God's just silent. We need to keep remembering his promise that he's still there. He hasn't left us. Even though you might feel abandoned, you're not abandoned. We don't go on feelings, go on God's promises. God says, I'm not going to leave you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. And whether you feel it or not, God's with you. And God's there. His grace is available. In Psalm 46, it says this, that God is our very refuge and very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, I will not fear. Though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake, with the swelling thereof, God's still in range. There's times when your entire world seems to be shaken. If you haven't experienced it, you will. When the mountains seem to move, and they seem to shake, and the whole world seems to be turned upside down, God's still your refuge. There's no other refuge. He's still your refuge. He is your refuge. He wants to be with you. He wants to be your refuge. He wants you to draw near unto him. And so it is that we can never forget his promises. We need to prepare, yes, our own spiritual life, and then we need to remember his promises, which brings me to think of the fact that we need to read his word, and we need to hear his preaching, and we need to think and meditate upon the word and truth of God so that we know his promises when the hour comes. Remember this, my brothers and sisters. There's many, many saints that weren't saints like we think of saints. I think when I think of saints, I think of some old man in a monastery that's lived his whole life praying, doing what God wants, being an ascetic, denying himself, living for the kingdom. True, that's saints. There's saints that way. But I think I read more about saints that were created almost in an instant or through great suffering. Those that were martyred, and they saw someone. Like the 40 martyrs of Sebastian, the ones one in the water, and one guy came in and said, I'll be the 40th one at the end. Or people have seen others die and went into the flames with them. Suffering can really form a saint. It can increase your sanctity. Not by sitting long times in a monastery praying, but by being in affliction and praying. This is what God does to form saints so often. So, we have a man today born blind. Such sad circumstances truly exist. They do. And they come upon us, even when we've been healthy for a long time, perhaps. But God's still there. And the reason why this comes is because God allows us, even when there's no sin, 
God allows us to be part of his great work and somehow to be a partaker of his glory. He offers that opportunity to us. We can throw it away or we can embrace it. The weaker we get in faith, our glory and what we share with him becomes greater. So be encouraged and encourage others with these truths. Suffering may come. Yeah, there's a reason for it. And where there's, where there's no sin behind suffering, you almost count on it that God's trying to work and God's trying to bring glory to himself. Our job is to manifest God's grace, to be a receptacle for God's grace even more so during times of trouble and pain and to endure like Job did and to be, I think, obedient in the midst of our pain. That's a proof of our faith. To not deny him, as Job didn't deny him. And I think finally, to love him and to trust him when that suffering comes upon us or those around us, that he is still our refuge. May God allow us to love him, to trust him, to wait on him, as long as might be necessary, even unto death, for our deliverance and for the deliverance of our loved ones when we see such things happen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You can listen to more sermons and learn more about us by visiting our website at orthodoxmaine.org. Thanks for listening, and until next time, God be with you.